And I am joined once again by my brother from another Mara, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Doing wonderful. How are you doing tonight? I am. Uh, I'm awesome. I am excited, and I'll be honest with you. I'm a little bit nervous. What, what, I, are, uh, what, what are you nervous about? What's uh, so? What's on your mind? I mean, what what are you so excited about tonight? Well, you know what? Uh, for for those for the listeners that uh, that have listened to kind of my little teaser, which was the last episode on the on the podcast feed, we are doing a deep dive this evening into, uh, well, we're going to start a deep dive into the Star Wars sequel trilogy. So that, uh, and this evening we're talking about The Force Awakens. Um, you know, I, I think when when we started this podcast, I think this is the sort of thing that I kind of envisioned, right? It was two kind of nerdy, geeky guys talking and really kind of delving in and really doing more than just a, um, a review, right? Because there's been a, a thousand and one reviews done of, of these movies. Um, but really just kind of what these, what these films meant to us, what we thought about them, what we think about them now, what our kids think about them, um, those kind of things. Um, I'm not quite sure where this is going to go, uh, but, but, um, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, same here. This is um, <clears throat> this is something I've been looking forward to for a while now, and and the thing that I'm really interested in in trying to pulling out of each other on, in this particular podcast is to understand like, you know, these to your point, like a lot of people have given plenty of reviews on these movies before, but we're sort of taking the perspective of how do we feel, um, you know, in this case, uh, six years after the fact. You know, like how did uh, to try to remember back to how we felt when we saw the movie originally, but also kind of talk about how it's marinated since then and and how we feel about it, because we're you know, if this goes as I hope it does, we'll we'll do this for the, the subsequent two films as well. The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. And it'll be really interesting after all is said and done to kind of take a look back and say, all right, well, how do we ultimately feel about this? And I feel like our opinions matter as much as anybody else. Right. Because. We, we were kind of one of the target audiences for this group. We were, we grew up with this stuff, uh, literally. And, uh, you know, to, to have these sequels come out so many years later, but be older and wiser and have different perspectives on the world. It's interesting to see how this impacted us now versus how it did then. So I think it's going to be an interesting uh, exercise for sure. For sure. All right. Well, 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 I guess, why don't we just kind of dive right in then? Um, I, so I guess we'll talk just just real briefly about the kind of Star Wars, right? The, the saga that really kind of needs no introduction. Um, Star Wars for me, uh, and I imagine it was for you, was just kind of always there, right? I, I remember it. It was by far the biggest uh, movie franchise of my childhood. You know, I, I was born in, in 76, Star Wars, the original came out just a couple of years later. So I obviously didn't see it in, in the theaters, but I, re, I mean, I, I just always remember Star Wars when I was, 
you know, I was on the, the playground. I, you know, I was always playing, you know, I was Han Solo. I was Luke Skywalker. It was always the Millennium Falcon. The, you know, I think I probably have the most vivid memories of Empire and Jedi just because I was a little bit older when those came out. Um, I, I don't even think I saw Empire. I might have seen it in a re-release. I remember very vividly seeing Jedi in the theater kind of in its first run. And obviously, you know, there's a there's a huge kind of twist in, in that one. No, no, I take that back in Empire. But, you know, see, you know, seeing seeing Darth Vader for who he was in Jedi and kind of how he died and all that kind of stuff. Spoiler alert from a 1983 movie. Darth Vader did die. Um, but but it was it was just it was always there. And, and I always ranked everything else that I saw or experienced up against Star Wars in some way, shape or form. It was kind of that was the measuring stick. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, are, you, are you kind of in the same boat there? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. So similar because we are we're about two months apart in age. So I had virtually the same experience in that um, I don't remember if I saw Empire in the theaters when I was young. I don't think that I did, but I definitely saw Return of the Jedi. And I, I do have a memory of it being very close to my birthday and being so excited. And my parents taking me out to dinner at a, at a restaurant that was right by a movie theater. And I could see the marquee that said Return of the Jedi outside of the window I was eating. And, I, and they didn't tell me that they were taking me. So I was really excited about it. And, and I do have the, the dubious honor of being able to say that I have seen all the original trilogy in the theaters. Uh, my, my father, when I was, uh, well, it, was, it would have been 1986, it would have been the 10th anniversary of Star Wars. They actually had a special event where they played all three movies back to back. And my dad pulled me out of school. I think I was in like third grade at the time. He shows up to school, he pulls me out of school without me even knowing it and doesn't tell me where we're going. And we proceed to sit in a movie theater for the next six hours and watch all three movies. And it, and it was the first time I'll, I'll never forget this. It was the first time that I was at a movie that when, when the good guy came on the screen for the first time, like the crowd just erupted and they cheered. And when Darth Vader came on the screen, everybody would boo. And it was just, it was such an exciting atmosphere and, and such a, a cool uh, experience that, you know, I'll, I'll definitely never forget that. But I mean, for me, Star Wars growing up was certainly watching the movies, but it was also the toys. It was all about the toys that Lucas absolutely had everything uh, set up properly. I mean, he, he was big on the merchandising aspect of everything. And I will never forget. I mean, you know, whether they were my toys or the neighbor kids toys or whatever, like we all played with them together, having the Millennium Falcon, having uh, all the vehicles, all the characters. I still have them in my basement. It, it, that to me, it was just like, it was such an amazing memory growing up. And, and on top of that, you know, like that's when I was growing up, you know, there was, I suppose, as, as every young child does, you do a lot of daydreaming, right? And what I wanted to do is I wanted to be Luke Skywalker and I wanted to be whisked away to, to fight an even evil empire and, and learn the ways of the force and have a lightsaber and all that stuff. Like, that's what I wanted to do as a kid. That, that was just, it inspired so much imagination and creativity and uh, and I honestly, I do feel bad for anybody who didn't grow up in that generation just because they missed out on something so incredibly special. And that was definitely the, the Star Wars original trilogy as we know it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, you know, for me, the lightsaber was always was always my thing. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to be Han Solo. And I always I remember having a hard time reconciling in my mind 
the fact that my favorite character never used my favorite weapon, right? So, yes. uh, you know, and so I, I, you know, I just, I always had a hard time playing that character, but I somehow I was, I always managed to find a way to, you know, steal a lightsaber or do something. And, and so I was able to kind of use, you know, use a lightsaber on the playground, which is, which was always cool. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think the first time I ever saw Star Wars in the theater might have been with you in Bloomington at the re when they did the special edition. Oh, wow. I, I don't know that I ever saw the original film in, you know, I, I clearly I'd seen it uh, probably a thousand times on, you know, home video by then, but I don't know that I ever saw that movie. And I remember that like it was yesterday. That was, we, we either skipped the final or it was right after a final and we went and we stood in line and then, yeah, that was, but that, that was those special editions yeah. that came out in what, 90, what was that, 96 maybe? Yeah, mid to, mid to late 90s, yeah, right before, like that, I yeah. want to say they, um, this was before DVD even, right? I think, mm. yeah, definitely before they were even out on DVD. Yeah. I remember they had that, um, that, that three cassette, um, it was like that golden black sort of sleeved um, yep. VHS uh, which I still have in my, which I still have in my basement, and I actually, you're right because I bought the Phantom Menace on VHS. Mm -hmm. Th that was my first copy of that was on was on VHS. Same, so, same, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and so I, I guess, I guess we're, this this particular trilogy is interesting to me because, you know, it's it's not the so you know we've been talking a lot about the original trilogy. And so after Jedi was over, there was a huge gap, right? Like we, we just really never thought there would be any Star Wars ever after 1983. And it was all the way until what, 1999 mm -hmm. when the prequel trilogy came out. And, and we, will, we will talk about the prequel trilogy, I imagine at, at some point. Um, but, I, but I wanted to touch on it here because it, even though it is in the Star Wars universe and it is part of the quote Skywalker saga, those films to me are still very different in that they're not really about the, uh, this is going to sound weird. They're not really about the characters that we know and love, even though they are about Anakin Skywalker. They're, you know, they're not Luke, they're not Han, they're not Chewie, they're, you know, yes, uh, you know, C-3PO and R2 make appearances, but they're, but they're different. Um, the, this sequel trilogy that we're talking about are about those characters, very much about Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie. And, and, and so I think it's, at least to me, as a 40-something-year-old guy, this, this sequel trilogy, I think is, is I, don't, I don't even want to say it's better but it's just more special to me because it is it's my part of the story does that, does that make sense or am I kind of babbling no absolutely you hit the nail right on the head because I remember when the the prequels got announced and we were you know rightfully really excited about it because it was an opportunity to see what they could do with the Star Wars universe with modern day special effects as it, as it was back in the late 90s early 2000s and as much as I was excited about those movies you know when they were all over they to me, they almost felt more like extended universe stories just because with, with cameos by R2 and, and 3PO, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
they, which they're not, I mean, they're, they're certainly canon and they're, they're part of, of the overall story, but, you know, we grew up with Luke, Han, and Leia, the holy trinity of, you know, the good guys in, in the right. Star Wars saga, and, and none of those characters had any place in this particular part of the universe, uh, because obviously it took place so far before that. So when the sequels were announced, it was a whole different ball game because, you know, this was a continuation of what we knew and love and grew up with. But the, you know, the prequels were what they were, but it certainly wasn't, it didn't satiate in the same way. It didn't, it didn't, I don't know how to say it, but, you know, I think if you grew up with Star Wars and you loved it as much as we did, yeah, we'd love to hear the backstory. We'd love to hear all kinds of stories in terms of how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. But, you know, the, the real meat behind, I think what we all wanted was where, where did our favorite characters go from there? You know, where, what was their story after we left them back in 1983? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I think it's, I, I was, to your point, I was very excited when, you know, the Phantom Menace was announced. Um, I, I can remember just really geeking out when I saw that original trailer right because that was the first star wars we had had in in over a decade and it yeah. was and it was star wars that we that we literally never thought was coming that being said i think i was more excited when i saw the trailer and the and the buzz for the force awakens i, I remember they they released a, a teaser trailer like right around thanksgiving you know, about a year before it came out and, or maybe it was on Thanksgiving day or the day out, it was very close. And I, and, and there was very little in that trailer, but, the, but they started showing things and it, and it, this is going to sound weird, but it felt like a star Wars movie. It felt like it was back in that universe. And I think to your point, and there's, and we, and we can delve into it at some time, but there's a lot of reasons why those prequels in my mind don't feel like Star Wars movies, right? There's, there's a lot of CGI. They, they, they did a lot of things. There's a lot of different, different environments, a lot of different characters. And they just, to me, they just never felt right. And, and when JJ Abrams was brought on, I think he was, you know, he's a, a guy about our age and, and clearly has a love for this universe. And he really made a big point in bringing it back to, making it based in reality. So he did a lot, you know, there's clearly CGI in these movies, but there's a lot more puppetry. There's a lot more practical effects. There's a, and, and in fact, there's, there's even, I seem to remember there's even like a three or four minute vignette where he even talks about that right and he's clearly like ripping on the prequels being like you know you know actual effects practical effects you know real and and it's it is it's very easy to see the 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 care that he took to make it feel like a star wars film i can't i, I i'm babbling it, it, it i i think you know what i mean though yeah, absolutely. And and we're definitely going to talk about that. There are going to be, as I walk through kind of the, the different scenes of the movie, we're going to talk about some of the differences that I think really made this movie stand out from the prequels. And you're going to be able to tell like almost immediately from the beginning, like they have put a lot of effort into the practical effects. And, and that to me, 
as soon as I heard that, I was very interested. And as soon as I saw it, it made all the difference in the world because there was so much green screen background CGI stuff in the prequels. And there were so many things that, that seemed like they were animated just because they could be. Whereas mm -hmm. in this movie, like in the beginning scene, you know, you see stormtroopers flying around, but they're clearly on wires. Like that's happening. You know, it's, it's, right. you're seeing that right. happen. And, and that makes a big difference. And that was, you know, like our kids will grow up and they'll watch Star Wars and they'll be like, well, that looks fake or that looks stupid. But when we grew up, like it, it meant something because that was the best we had at the time. And so what happens as a result of that is it, it develops a certain amount of charm after a while, right? Like it's endearing to see mm -hmm. these practical effects now because they hearken more back to, you know, the early days when that's all they had to be able to showcase. Okay, so so this this film was released in um, in December of 2015. I can remember very vividly. I went on opening night, and I and I what I don't remember is whether you saw it first or I did. We were like an hour talking. apart, I think. Yeah, and I don't remember which way. I think I might have been an hour ahead of you. Okay, okay. I yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly, but. But I remember my, my kind of initial reaction was, you know, just the first night that I saw it, I, I was I was just blown away. I was like, this this feels right. This, you know, I, I hadn't at that point, I hadn't had a chance to kind of sit down and, and take notes and watch it multiple times and pick through it. And it, it just it felt like a Star Wars movie. It felt comfortable. It felt like a continuation of the story. It felt, you know, it, it just felt right. And, and it was, and it, it gave me a feeling that the prequel trilogy never did. It, it just, those movies were enjoyable, some, some more than others. But, but this movie specifically, walking out of that theater, I was, I was satisfied. I was... Uh, clearly, I was played to as a, as a you know as a, a specific target audience, and, we, and I imagine we'll talk about a lot of those things. There was there was plenty of uh, quote Easter eggs to to uh, kind of wet my whistle. The the story I thought was was compelling. Yeah, I it just it felt right. It felt like I was back in the Star Wars universe for the first time since Return of the Jedi. Really, it it felt like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I'm, and I'm the same way. I mean, we'll we'll certainly get through it as we talk through some of this, but I think the biggest compliment that I can give this movie is that it didn't disappoint. And I know that that sounds like sort of a a, a milk toast flavored compliment, but you know, for me, the as soon as they announced that they were going to do this trilogy, I was thinking to myself, "Oh my God, what if they suck? What if they what if they yeah. do this wrong?" Right? Because I think the prequels to to many people were underwhelming. Or, or didn't meet expectations is probably a better way to put it. And I, I just didn't even see it possible in this day and age for them to make a sequel of a movie that came out uh, 1983 would have been how many years ago? Uh, for, is it like 32 years after? Or I, I don't, I'm not doing my math right. From, yeah. from 83 to 2015. I mean, so many years after that. I mean, they don't make... 30, yeah, 32 years, yeah. They don't make good sequels to movies that that were made that long ago it just doesn't happen and and then when you consider it's star wars like what could possibly have bigger expectations than you know a, a, 
the original trilogy, which created a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it's the idea that I came out of that movie and I wasn't upset by the way it was handled or I wasn't disappointed was the biggest compliment I could have given it because I was, I sort of had the bar set low. I'm like, I saw the prequels and, you know, I, I just, I just had a, I was pessimistic about it, but I, I was so pleasantly surprised and, and excited. Like I was back, like I was back in the universe. I felt like I was seven years old again and I was watching yeah. these movies and I wanted to go buy toys and I wanted to get the, the, the DVD and watch it six times through. And it, I was just, I was, I was elated. I was so happy about it. Good. Yeah. So it's, so it sounds like we, we had, we had very similar experiences then certainly on opening night. So, so let's get into kind of, I don't know that we're going to necessarily do a, a review per se, but, but it sounds like we're going to kind of talk through some specifics um, and, and let's really kind of explore, did we enjoy it as much as we think we enjoyed it? Yeah, that's going to be the real, how is it aged? Is it a fine wine yeah. or is it, is it molded over a little bit? And so, yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the opportunity to kind of step, step through some of the, well, not really some, pretty much all of the scenes of the movie. It's not going to be frame for frame by any means, but I'm going to try to talk through this and I want to, you know, highlight some of the things that I really liked about what happened. Some of the things, there were definitely things that I didn't like as well. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a complete fanboy and, and stick up for some of the things that definitely didn't make sense, but I definitely want to get your perspective on some of this as I'm going through it, because there were, there were things that I liked and things that I didn't, and maybe even things that I still have questions about that I'm still not sure were ever really answered. And I think, you know, hopefully between the two of us, we can, we can figure that out. So, you know, I I guess I'll, I'll kick things off. So as with any other Star Wars saga movie, we start with a scroll and, uh, you know, we, we learn a couple things uh, from the scroll. We learn that the, uh, the first order is basically the quote unquote new empire. And, uh, and uh, shortly after the scroll, uh, we get transported to a carrier ship, which is on its way to this new planet that we will learn is the planet Jakku, uh, where we're introduced to four of the new main characters. We've got Poe, we've got FN2187, who is gonna be known as Finn, we have Kylo Ren, and we have BB-8. And we can tell, you know, right from the beginning of this movie, this is going to be a big talking point. And this is also going to end up being one of the biggest criticisms of the movie, not necessarily specifically for me, but from the masses, there are a lot of similar beats to A New Hope. So, so in a, in a sense, this is almost an exact reboot of episode four uh, in a lot of senses. And we'll get into a lot of the parallels there. Um, so we, we, we get to Jakku, we see uh, that Poe is, is talking and we, we learn from, from Poe that Luke Skywalker is essentially going to be the MacGuffin of this movie. You know, he, we're not going to find out till the end of the movie that he's not even going to be in it and he doesn't have a single line in the movie, but he's essentially the, uh, the plot point and, and he's the driving factor. He's the MacGuffin. He's what we're pushing to try to, to, to get to uh, both the good guys and the bad guys are trying to make their way to him. And that we also learn that Kylo Ren has some family ties that we're supposed to care about. So Max von Sydow, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name, he's a great, uh, great actor from a lot of movies like uh, The Exorcist and, and many others, uh, has a really great uh, short scene in this movie. I kind of wish he had a bigger part. Um, but, but, you know, shortly after that conversation takes place, the, uh, the, the mood changes and it gets, it gets pretty dark pretty quick. And, uh, you know, then we get into some pretty intense action scenes and, and, you know, right from the get-go, the first thing I notice is that this is 
this is a different kind of Star Wars movie. Like it, it felt like Star Wars and it definitely looked like Star Wars, but it was a different kind of movie. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you thought, you know, as this movie's starting and, and these, these first order troopers are landing and they're shooting everything up and these action scenes, you know, to me, like I can see a lot of the practical effects. I can see the stormtroopers getting pulled around on wires and a lot of the explosions and things, which are clearly not graphically and well, maybe they're graphically enhanced, but they're not CG. But as this action is starting to unfold, like where, where's your mind with this? Like, how do you feel about what you're seeing? It, it, it's funny because, you know, the, the, the opening and, and let me take a step back. You, you touched on the fact that there's one of the biggest kind of knocks on this movie is that it is almost a kind of reboot or a retelling of A New Hope. I actually didn't pick up on that until, like, I certainly didn't pick up on it while I was watching it the first time. I, it, it, like, it never even crossed my mind until I read about it somewhere on the internet. And, and I was just like, nah, that's not, that's, and then sure. I was like, oh shit, yeah, that there actually is a lot of similarities. That being said, you know, the, the, the first scene of Star Wars, of A New Hope, is actually a pretty brutal scene when you, when you really think about it, right? It's stormtroopers um, attack, you know, coming aboard and just kind of firing away. I never really, I never really kind of understood, not that I didn't understand it, but I never really kind of internalized that until I saw this scene. You're right. This is a pretty this is a pretty brutal scene right out of the gate. It's a it's a um, it's a very it's it, it's putting the the war in Star Wars right. I mean, it's very violent. It's it it's is, dark. It almost feels like yeah. a horror movie, to be honest with it, you. It, like it does. Yeah. When 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 Poe and and I don't remember Max von Sydow's character's name, but when they're sitting and they're talking, and you know BB-8 comes rushing in, and then they look out in the horizon and they see these troopers coming in, it's it's a little creepy. Like I, I, I remember feeling a little anxiety right out of the gate as I'm seeing this happen. Yeah. I'm like, Oh crap, something really bad is getting ready to happen. And it, it, yeah. it, it got me charged. Yeah. And, and they, and they, they do a really good job here with the score. The score is dark and deep and, and it's, and it's clearly a star Wars score, but, but the score is, um, it's perfect for this particular scene. Um, I, I will admit I wasn't, overly jazzed for lack of a better term with with the appearance of kylo ren initially he he, he looked like a, he, he kind of looked like a knockoff darth vader right which there's a lot of truth to that for a variety yeah. of reasons that we will get into um i will say kylo ren ended up being one of my favorite characters uh, when when you take the entire his entire arc into consideration. We're gonna we're not really gonna talk about that tonight, but he ended up being one of my favorite characters in in this sequel trilogy. But but no, I mean th th this whole first scene on Jakku, I, I, the, the the thing that kind of stood out to me, um, aside from the real kind of darkness, I I really really liked Poe Poe Dameron, and and I'm and I wasn't quite sure why. But I think it was because he he brought a little bit of levity to this scene that that really wasn't even in the original the original trilogy. There was very little what I would consider comedy in that original trilogy, like in the entire thing. And, and you know, even in 
pose and like where they introduce him and he's kind of brought in front of Kylo Ren and, and he, he makes some quip about, you know, who, who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk, you know, and it just kind of breaks that tension a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I, I just, I liked it. I, I, he, he's one of the characters that as, as we move forward, I'm, and even forward past the sequel trilogies, if you know, I, I'm interested to see kind of where his particular story goes because I don't think they did a great job in flushing out. They didn't give me enough Poe for me, not necessarily in this movie, but just kind of in the entire three movie arc. But no, I'm I'm abs- I'm loving it. I'm all like right now. I'm all in, hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I agree with your commentary on Poe. I think that he's immediately intriguing. I mean, I think what they're telling us from this beginning scene is that he's the new Han Solo. He's the he's the this this Absolutely. trilogy's Han Solo because he's got this '70s suave, good look, long hair thing about him. He's got cheeky dialogue like that. Like they're clearly setting the stage for him to sort of be. You know, he's the pilot. He's the the guy that can shoot. He's all these things. So. I think that that sort of maybe subconsciously endears us to him right away because we all love Han Solo. Um, and, and to this day, when I watch this movie, I never stop rooting for him to get into that X-Wing and fly away before the First Order gets there. I keep thinking, oh, man, if he just does this thing just a little bit faster. And I don't know, like, if you ever have that experience with this movie or any other movie where you're, you know, you're watching the scene and, and you know exactly what's going to happen. And it can't ever be different. You're like, oh man, come on, just just go, like, in hopes that something will change, but you know, it, it never does. For sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. Like this opening scene really sets the stage in a great way, and and I'm super excited about where this is going, and I'm 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 all in. I'm 100 focused on this. And then we see, so he gives something to BB-8, and uh, BB-8 escapes while while Kylo ends up taking Poe away for interrogation. And, you know, I think one of the, you know, now would probably be a good time to pause and, and really appreciate, as we're talking about practical effects, how amazing BB-8 is as a character in this movie. And, I mean, I don't know, is he the best droid of this trilogy? I mean, does anybody, does any other droid have a bigger impact in this entire trilogy, especially this movie, than BB-8? No, no. I mean, hand, hands down... He he is, he is the R two D two of this of this trilogy, like one hundred percent. There are some other droids that um, that appear and are and, and even play some pretty good roles, uh, but no, no, nothing remotely close. Nothing stands up to to BB eight. You know what? I I, I I can make an argument that BB eight has more of a quote personality, and I might even like his personality more than R two. Certainly in this new trilogy, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I, but you know, I think if you're ranking droids of the Star Wars universe, I think you probably got to put R2 as number one, but BB-8 is right there. It's tough, man. I mean, they, you know, we'll get there, but R2 didn't get a lot of love in this trilogy. And it's, it's a little, I mean, maybe they were just making room for BB-8 and, and trying to sell more toys, which is certainly understandable. But I don't know if R2 uh, pissed off a producer or got on Kathleen Kennedy's bad side, but you know, he, he got the short end of the stick for this entire for this entire, you know, trilogy, in my opinion. But, you know, it is what it is. But I think it's good that it, it carved the way for for BB-8, which I remember. I think I remember seeing trailers and seeing him in the trailers and thinking, oh, great. They're just trying to shove some other droid in there 
but I mean, he's a practical, it's 100% practical. Like that, like BB-8 actually works. Like it, it's not a CGI thing. And then that in itself is, is truly amazing that it works so well, not just functionally, but on the screen. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 a, it's a great character. So we cut to, uh, we cut from this right to, uh, you know, the scene of a scavenger who's looting parts off an old Star Destroyer. And we end up meeting Ray for the first time. And, you know, I, you know, I guess I'll kick it to you. Do you, any, what, what sort of first impressions did you have of Ray in this, in this first scene as you're seeing her kind of spelunk her way through these, uh, these old decrepit Star Destroyers? You, you know, I didn't quite know what to make of Ray. The, the first time I was, as I was watching this, I was still in awe of the, the environment, right? The scenery, the fact that she was inside a Star Destroyer or inside an ADAT or, in, you know, th these kind of things. I, I was still trying to kind of wrap my head around where this was and when this was and how it fit into the Star Wars that I knew. And, you know, what was this planet? And, you know, where is Jakku? Is it Tatooine? Is it, is it simply, you know, it clearly looks like Tatooine, you know, those kind of things. We didn't um, know it wasn't Tatooine at that point. Right. I don't, they didn't That's name right. Jakku at that. I, I don't think right. at that part of the movie. Yeah. So, so I was still trying to kind of wrap my mind around that. And yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a while before we kind of learn who Ray is or, or what, what she's about or those, those kind of things. So, so I, I really, I didn't really have a whole lot of an opinion about Ray at this point. I was, it was more of in awe of the environment still. Yeah, we, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. So we didn't really get much about her uh, at this point because she's, you know, she didn't even talk for a little while longer, but we, uh, you know, my first impressions were that, you know, first of all, I love the, it may be my favorite new theme that John Williams created for the entire Star Wars trilogy. I think her, her theme is is fantastic. It's very, um, it's interesting. It's really childlike, I think, which is kind of what we see, you know, going back. So as I'm watching this movie again, because I think you and I both watched it in preparation for this, she seems so much younger in this movie and she seems so much more innocent and more childlike. That is, um, that is really telling as part of this. But but to your point, and, and I'm glad you said this because this is exactly where I was at this point. Like, we are seeing some really, really amazing shots in, in, in this movie to this point. And, and it will be a theme for this movie. If there's one thing about this movie that I think stands out is how beautiful it is and how amazing that it looks. We see some really great shots of some Star Destroyers, you know, you know, the Adats, as you mentioned. And then, you know, she ends up sitting, you know, she's eating, eating her, uh, her rations that she bought from Simon Pegg you know, in front of an AT-AT wearing an X-Wing helmet that's too big. So I think they're definitely trying to project sort of a childlike thing for her. Uh, but then she meets BB-8 and rescues him from uh, this parts dealer who, you know, is trying to sell him for junk. And then he starts following her around. And then we, we basically learn as part of this that she's really yearning to reunite with her family, which will become a theme for the next two movies and, and the rest of this one for sure. Then we cut back to Finn breaking, uh, well, we cut back to the, I guess, is it a destroyer? I don't know where they are, essentially, Ren's ship, you know, and, and we're introduced, or, or Finn and Poe are introduced to each other, and they collaborate to steal a TIE fighter, an effort to head back to Jakku, where, where Finn learns that there is a map to Luke Skywalker. And we see, the, we see the blooming of a very endearing friendship between these two, 
as they sort of clumsily find their way out of the destroyer. And I, I'm wondering, like, like immediately when they start interacting with each, with each other, like, I'm really intrigued. Like, I, they, they seem like best friends that have known each other for forever. And I'm wondering if you kind of felt the same sort of camaraderie when you're watching these guys talk to each other. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, there, there's clearly a Luke and Han on the Death Star vibe going on there. In fact, I, I remember thinking, you know, did, did they, did, did one of them get their memory wiped and they didn't know, you know, they actually knew one another and now they're just reuniting. Did, you know, is, is one of them lying about who the, you know, like, yeah, like those kind of things went through my mind. It was, it was, it was instant and it was obvious and it was, and it was very good. And then we have this scene where they escape from the ship with the TIE fighter and, you know, they're shooting their way out of it. And again, we're seeing a lot of really interesting shots, a lot of great visual shots of the TIE fighter as it's trying to escape from the ship. And we end up back on Jakku and uh, Finn. So, the, you know, the, the TIE fighter crashes, we think Poe is gone, but we know he's not. And Finn and Ray end up meeting and are immediately tagged by the First Order. And they're, they're running around for their lives at this point. And as they try to escape, we are reintroduced to our first character from the OG trilogy and, and maybe arguably my favorite and the most underused, uh, the Millennium Falcon, uh, which is just like, I don't know, like we knew the Millennium Falcon was going to be in this movie because we saw it in the trailer. But I mean, I when I hear that, I am just like goosebumps coming out of places I didn't think goosebumps should be like I was so so incredibly excited about this and and you know i don't i don't know where you were with that but i mean when i saw that i was just like oh crap i mean it, they kind of telegraphed it a little bit but as soon as it happened i just i got so excited to see the millennium yeah th 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 this is what this is one of those things where um and, and it's funny you, you if you read some reviews uh, some reviews will say that they that that jj abrams did this too much and, and i couldn't disagree more i i, I you know, th these little kind of these beats and these throwbacks and these introductions of, of characters, whether it's a ship or a person or what have you. Um, yes, it's clearly pandering to 40 some year old guys that, that grew up on this shit, Cl clearly, right? But that doesn't make it bad, right? That, that doesn't make it, you know, in the, in the way the Falcon was introduced here, the way the music is used, this entire scene where where Ray and and Finn are in the Falcon, escaping from First Order. You know the gun is the gun underneath the turret is fucked up, and, and Finn can't use it, and 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 uh, Ray has to go and kind of do this maneuver. And again, it's the music and it's everything, right? And it's and and not only is it the Falcon that we know and love, but it's it's since we have come forward 32 years in real time in filmmaking, JJ is able to do things that George Lucas never was able to do in terms of showing us how the Falcon flies and yes. what it can do and, and camera angles around it and this, that, and the other thing. And, and it, it, is, it, is more, it is more, quote, Millennium Falcon than it ever was before. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, th 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 this brought me, this particular scene brought me back quite a bit to the asteroid field in, in Empire, um, escaping from the big sloth and those, like it, it's got a lot of that going on. 
this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the, the entire movie. This just kind of initial escape from Jakku from the time that Finn meets Ray until the time they kind of escape on the Falcon. I just that I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm all in, I'm loving every bit of it here. Yeah, it is so great. And we're going to see, you know, your, your, your point is well taken about, you know, the, what they can do with some of the, some of the CG in this movie versus what, you know, Lucas was able to do back then. I mean, if you go back and watch some of the other movies, the Falcon sort of drips slowly through space, but the Millennium Falcon, in my opinion, it's supposed to be a hot rod, right? It's supposed to be a souped up muscle car that's got nothing but balls under the hood and, and can, you know, fly incredibly fast from one place to another. And I think that we finally get a sense for what that was meant to be uh, the way that they showed it here. And there's this scene where, you know, where they're, uh, they're flying around. I think it's after they shoot down the first TIE fighter and then Ray takes this 90 degree turn and then like, you know, fires right into the back of a uh, the Star Destroyer right before they shoot that second TIE fighter. And it just, it has this really cool visual to it that I think is amazing. And, you know, if anything, if there's anything that I'm longing for out of these three movies, if I had to make a top five list of all the things that I wished I had more of, it would be the Millennium Falcon. I wish there was more Millennium Falcon in these movies. Like I, I wish, I hope that somehow in future movies that somehow that can be reintroduced or, or something, because I just think that it, it's its own character in a, in a really weird way. And, and I was so excited to see it. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. So, so they, uh, our heroes get away from these TIE fighters and they, uh, they make their way into space. And then it, it cuts to a scene where we see Kylo Ren throw a childlike fit in a, you know, in a trash console on a, on a destroyer where he, he trashes a console on the destroyer where he finds out uh, they escaped. And, you know, this is, this may arguably not be a scene worth talking about here, but I think this is the first part where we see a different side of Kylo, right? Like we're, we're sort of walking into this movie, assuming that Kylo Ren is Darth Vader 2.0. And then we see him throw this massive fit, like a, like an overgrown child and, and trash his own equipment because he's so upset about this. And, and it really, presents a new dimension of, of our big bad guy. And, you know, immediately I'm a little bit hesitant about this because I certainly expected, you know, the next Darth Vader and, and what we're getting is something a little bit different and it's going to take me a little while and maybe another movie for me to appreciate what they're trying to do with this character, but it's definitely something that's, that's different from what they've done in the past. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, he is emo Darth Vader, right? He, Mm -hmm. he is, um, and I, I think maybe you'll appreciate this reference. He, he is the, when, when Tobey Maguire goes bad in the th- second Spider-Man movie, like when he's got his hair slicked back and it's, it, it's the third venom. one. Yeah. Is it the third one? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's a little bit cheesy, but like, that's, that's kind of what Kylo is at this point when he takes off his helmet and you're like, Oh, it's just like a, like a 30 something white dude, you know? Right. And, and don't get me wrong, Adam Driver is an amazing actor. But at this point, again, he's just kind of emo Darth Vader, right? He's like, and this is before you know kind of the connection, or, or is it? I'm trying to think. Do we know he is Vader's grandfather? Not but yet. But he's like a, okay, but he's like, he, he's, he's a wannabe. Like, yeah, he's a bitchy Darth Vader. It's, yeah. That's what I yeah. It's clearly that he is very derivative of Darth Vader, and we don't yet at this point of the story know why. But he's uh, he's definitely trying to emulate something, having not earned the ability to do so properly. 
so that's this is sort of the first window into of what we're going to get from him in the future. But so we have uh, we have Ray and Finn, and they're escaping. They're flying away in the Falcon, and they're so excited about their escape. And then all of a sudden, uh, they run into another ship that they believe uh, is the First Order, only to find out that the original owners are back in town. And we have uh, our first glimpse uh, on screen of Han Solo and Chewbacca back together, uh, which is one of the single greatest moments of this entire trilogy for me um i remember when they sort of showed that on the trailer and and they 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 board the falcon and, and han solo says chewing we're home and like i can't even say that without getting chills like it was just the greatest moment and i think every single showing that i saw growing up in the air i was so excited to see that and, and that to me was arguably the most magical moment of the entire trilogy, really, to see Han Solo back on screen with Chewbacca boarding the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's no scene that even comes close. I'm, I'm actually getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Um, and, and I've seen this movie, you know, at this point, a hundred times, right? But yeah, there, there, there's something so special about those three characters, right? Han, Chewie, and the Falcon. They are synonymous with one another, and, and, and you know what? It, I, you know what it was. I think it's it's only three words, but it's the dialogue there that Han Solo delivers. That is whether it was conscious or subconscious. He's speaking to us as you know what I mean. Like he's not not Matt and Greg, but he's speaking to. 40 some year old guys that are or, or, or gals that are back in the star wars universe mm -hmm. and he's like hey we're home it's this meta is, yeah right you know it's um, like he's breaking I, the fourth wall almost yeah, and saying yeah we're back yeah yeah we're back right i mean you're, you're in you're in the same it, it's the it's not the same set but it's the same set it's the you know what i mean like it's it, it's clearly practical he's clearly there he's not on a green screen um it, it, yeah and it's just we're home right we, here we are we're, we're back in the star wars universe the way it should be done i'll tell you why i think it mean why why it meant so much to me is that i think if you're a star wars fan and and you know and you followed and and you know you've seen interviews with harrison ford and things like that you know he doesn't have any particular reference to, to star wars right like he he understands it's all very much make-believe and, and thinks that people who get really wrapped up in this stuff is ridiculous. And when he comes on screen, again, after having not been in this role for over 30 years, it's almost it's almost like his effort to sort of make up for that, right? Like it's it's almost like, oh, just kidding. Like I'm I'm back. I'm I'm Han Solo and I'm excited to be here. Like he I, I've never given Harrison Ford a lot of credit for being a good actor. He's certainly a fantastic movie star, but as an actor, I think he's, he's passable, but you know, if he doesn't like star Wars, then I think he deserved an Oscar for this performance because it just, he did such a good job for somebody who doesn't really care about all of this space nonsense. You know what? I, I would agree with that. Right. And, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. Like Harrison Ford clearly is Han Solo because it's the it, you know it's it's him right he he is the physical embodiment of that character, but but he could have just kind of phoned in this performance and he still would have been Han Solo right sure but it's little things like this 
where, you know, and I don't know if it's, if it's voice inflection, if it's a little nod, if it's a look, if it's a raised eye, you know, it's, it's kind of all of these things. He becomes Han Solo again. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's back in that character, not just like putting on the outfit. He actually, yeah. and again, to your point, whether that is genuine or whether he's just really, really good at acting like Han Solo, either way, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's to your point, he's not going through the motions. He's like, all right, if I'm going to sign up for this, if I'm going to put this this crazy suit and this fake blaster on, he's like, I'm going to give it everything I got. And he really did in this movie. This is Han Solo's movie, in my opinion. Yep. There's, a, there's a lot to be said about that, and we'll certainly get into that. But So Han and Chewie board the Falcon, and uh, it, it's great. It, it punches you right in all the feels. And then... Um, and then, you know, chaos ensues for the sake of having an action scene and our new heroes and old heroes uh, escape from a couple young adult flavored gangsters and CGI monsters when uh, Han decides to go into light speed from the, the park position. And uh, then we're then we're introduced into our uh, our new big bad, Andy Serkis's uh, Sup- Supreme Leader Snoke, which. I don't know. My first impression is Snoke is the dumbest name I've ever heard. I, I don't know. There was something that just seemed especially goofy about that. He appears unnecessarily large, which left a lot of questions around who he was and what his role would be. And I think we eventually find out that it is a hologram. So it was a little relieved by that because it, it seemed a little bit gargantuan and, and ridiculous. Uh, but then, of course, the, the big reveal, this is the scene where where we are tipped off to Kylo's parentage when we find out that he is, in fact, the offspring of Han and Leia, which is really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious if you can sort of harken back to that. Do you remember how you felt about that revelation? And, and did you did you even have a chance to see that one coming? No, I didn't. Because we uh... had to we had to assume that Kylo was somebody. Right. Like. I think that was the big thing. Like coming into this movie, everybody was somebody. Like the new cast, like Ray's going to be somebody, and Kylo has to be somebody. And what? Because that defines all their motivations, right? So, so how did you feel about this when when they unveiled this? Yeah, no, no I, I, I don't really, no, I don't really think I saw it coming. But when it was revealed, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, so no, I, I, I was surprised and I didn't see it coming, but when it, when it was out there, I was like, oh yeah, of course he is. Right. You know, I, I guess I had read a lot, a ton of the, of the books of the kind of ex- expanded universe books. And so, you know, in that universe, Han and Leia have children and I believe his name is, J- is it Jason Solo? Jason and Jaina, maybe? Yeah. And, and, and so I kind of had that in the back of my mind that, okay, that they've got a son. And so I was like, well, maybe this is Jason. Are they going to do that? Those, those kind of things. So I wasn't like completely blown away, like, oh my God, this is brand new information, right? But I also didn't see it coming, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, w- real quick, one thing on Snoke, I never liked Snoke I, ever in, you know, in two movies, you know, n- never liked him, didn't think it was a great character, didn't think there was much behind him, didn't give a shit when he died, you know, like just didn't, I was just like, yeah, you know, the, the best way I could describe him, he's, he's kind of like, he, he was kind of the, 
I would say he's the he was the Boba Fett of bad guys, but he wasn't even as cool as Boba Fett. But he kind of went out like a bitch the way Boba Fett did in Jedi. Uh, and I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, he's gone. I, it, it, certainly in this movie, even though he was kind of, you know, he's referred to as the supreme leader, and he, I was just like, yeah, that that's not really the the big bad. Like, there's clearly somebody else somewhere. And I like I never was, like, you know, I think if we're talking about the comparisons between you know, the force awakens and, and return of the era star Wars or even empire, you know, I, I guess the comparison that you would make was, Oh, he's the emperor. Right. But I, but I never, I never equated those two. I was never like, Oh, that's the emperor. That's the big bad. Like I never, I never got that feeling. And maybe, maybe I was supposed to, uh, but I just never did. I think we were, we were, it was implied that we were supposed to think that, right? Because there was, he was this, he was literally larger than life and uh, he was clearly strong with the force in some sort of fashion. But I agree. Like I, I didn't dislike him, but we never, we, we never really got an opportunity to try to like him because they never gave us anything about Snoke. And I will say that, you know, I, I guess maybe it's to Ian McDermott's credit or maybe George Lucas's credit if you compare the very limited time that the emperor was available to us in the original trilogy versus, you know, Snoke in this new trilogy, you know, it, it's the emperor was barely in return of the Jedi. He wasn't in any of the other movies, but I still liked him more as a character than I did Snoke at any point and ever. And yeah. it's, and I have to say this before I forget it. It's interesting that you bring up the extended universe because I did not go into this movie really thinking much about the extended universe in terms of will they use these stories will they use any of these plot lines and i don't think that they did with the exception of one that will one very poignant one that we'll get to in rise of skywalker with uh, palpatine but you know until then like they didn't they didn't borrow from any of that material much like you know marvel has used a lot of you know their old comic book material to to frame a lot of those movies so yeah, I, I that that thought never uh, never crossed my mind, but that, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, Snoke was just kind of here nor there. Like I was interested to see where it was going to go, but ultimately I didn't, you know, wasn't really sure. And I guess where we're going to find out. So our heroes make their way to a planet that will be known as Takodana, which you know they don't really do a lot of good planet exposition in this movie, which is one of my beefs. Or Solo, did you just call me Solo? introduces us to uh, his friend Maz Kanata, who's supposed to get BB-8 and crew back to the public. Kylo, uh, Kylo introduces us to his conflict as he's pleading uh, with the toasted helmet of his grandfather to keep him away from the light. So this is really our first view into Kylo having some level of conflict with who he is and what he's after, right? And, and this is, you know, for me, this will, well, this will sort of start a problem that I have with Kylo through the whole series, which is my inability to really believe that he has a, a conflict. And I don't think that that is a knock on Adam Driver because I think Adam Driver is a great actor. I'm not sure that they wrote it in a way that really sold me on the fact that he was struggling between it, even when we get to that very infamous scene towards the end of this movie with Han. But seeing the Vader helmet was cool and it was, it was a little bit of a callback. It was it was definitely fan service, which is what they do a lot through this movie. But I really enjoyed the fact that they that they introduced that. And then and then we come back to Takodana in the cantina, and then we start really kind of opening things up for Finn a little bit when we see his conflict, which is 
you know, his fear of the first order and, and his desire to try to escape. And then after some hijinks in the cantina, we're reintroduced into Luke's old lightsaber when uh, Ray hears it calling from the basement. And, and this to me, like, this was really interesting. Like, I was super excited about this. I think it's really fun that we get to hear both uh, Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor's voices in this sequence. Uh, we see flashes of what looks like a Death Star. We hear Darth Vader's uh, very memorable breathing. And uh, along with meeting the Knights of Ren for the first time, who won't be seen again until Rise of Skywalker. That was sort of a really weird sort of introduction. But I guess maybe, why why do you feel like the lightsaber is calling to her? Is it just a, a plot point that never really flushed out? Or are we to think that that this is just the reason, this is just something that's trying to get her to find Luke at this point? The, the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> the long, yeah, I, I think it's probably... Again, it's kind of that MacGuffin to get her to Luke because there's really no reason, especially knowing what we ultimately now know about Ray, there's no reason that the lightsaber would call to her, right? I mean, she's, she's not a Skywalker. She's not a Solo. She's a Palpatine, right? So, so there's, you know, spoiler alert. So there's really no, there's no reason even in the canon that that particular weapon or that particular item should call to her. You know, I suppose maybe you could make some sort of connection between the dyad between her and Ben. And the, it, it, that's, that's a really big, really big fucking stretch. I, I'll be honest with you, this entire like 20 minutes of the movie to me is hot garbage. Like I, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I didn't like it the other day when I rewatched it. Really? Like from the time, yeah. So like from the time, the, the time that, that they walked into this cantina, I, I didn't like this cantina scene. To me, like, I understand what they're doing. They're trying, like this, this was the one time where, again, th there's all these kind of comparisons between the two movies. And again, I didn't really catch it until until somebody pointed it out but this one here i was like oh they're they're redoing the cantina scene and yeah. it and it and even that on opening night it seemed like a knockoff like it seemed like a cheap really bad version of the cantina scene like down to the fact that they like they you know they they come in there's weird music there's aliens playing games they scan around you know, like just all of it. I didn't like Matt Maz Kanata. Like she's got a couple kind of quippy one-liners, but I just didn't really care for that character. They never really developed her, not only in this movie, but in the in the subsequent movies. Mm, terrible. And then and then and then they get then they get into the the lightsaber thing, which is kind of cool, but they don't but but it's just sloppy in my opinion, right? It's just especially in this movie, right? They 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 there's very little that they explain to us. They don't really show us anything. Yeah, it was kind of cool to hear Alec Guinness and it was cool to hear Ewan McGregor, but we don't, you know, and they just kind of give us this one line of, well, that's a story for another time. It's like, what? <laughs> like, you, you can't do that. It's like, it's just like the ultimate blue ball. It's like, here's this, this ultimate weapon that we know about. And why the fuck does this little hobbit have it? And we don't even we don't even we don't we and we never learn how she got it or why she has it or anything like that I, yeah so i just this and oh and then finn just like bitches out and he's like ah, i'm out like yeah i like you ray but i'm gonna go hang out with these guys and i'm just gonna leave 
this planet. I, yeah, I just they, from from the time from the time they walk into the cantina until the time Kylo Ren shows back up, I hate this part. Like I'm just I'm I'm just not a fan at all. I don't think I feel as strongly as you do, but I definitely think it has problems and. I, you know, for what it's worth, interestingly enough, I don't have the problem that you do with the Finn piece. I mean, I don't like that about Finn, but I think it's setting up his arc, you know, it's setting him up to, to, to sort of bounce back from that and eventually realize that that's, you know, that's something he needs to, to overcome. The thing that I definitely don't appreciate is the fact that I, I loved all the bits about the lightsaber, like it was really intriguing to watch, but it doesn't pay off. They never, they never really pay it off in the way that I think it deserves. And and now we're sort of, J.J. Abrams is known for doing the whole mystery box thing. Like that's his thing. He does the mystery box where he sets up all of these mysteries. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, he says, it doesn't matter what's in the box, right? He's done that. You know, I mean, has anyone seen Lost? Like everybody loved yeah. the first couple of seasons of Lost and then it turned into a giant pile of shit. Uh, he did, uh, he did the movie Mission Impossible 3. And there was this whole plot line around this thing called the rabbit's foot. And nobody, I mean, talk about a MacGuffin. Nobody knew what it was. They were all after it. And they never even said what it was by the end of the movie. So JJ is very clear or he, he is, he's been articulate about, it doesn't matter what's in the box. You just want to keep people along for the ride. And, and I think that there's some, some merit to that thought process, but not with Star Wars. Like with Star Wars, you have to, you have to see it through. And I don't really think that they did that. I guess maybe you can make the argument that it was Luke calling out to her through the lightsaber or something, but I, I don't know. That that's a stretch, I think, in my opinion. And yeah, I, I won't yeah. give them the credit that they knew that they were going to make her a Palpatine from that movie, right? Because JJ didn't direct the second movie. He he allegedly put out some outlines for what he thought episodes eight and nine would be, but I don't think they were followed. So I don't think there was any sort of forecasting to where she was going to end up. I think he just thought, I'm going to do this first movie. I'm going to set up all these mysteries and I'm going to let the next guy figure it all out. And it ultimately just sort of left us flat, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for, you know what, hey, you can, you can set up a mystery box here, but you need to pay it off somewhere, right? Not even in this movie. It, you could set it up. You could pay it off three movies from now, but you got to pay it off, right? Right. That um, was a big I, one too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it was yeah, and and literally the only explanation we got was well, that's a story for another time. Well, fuck you. Like you got to give me something, right? <laughs> right. Um, and and I mean, you literally could have explained it in three lines of dialogue. You know, like something. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been very satisfying. But you could have given me something, right? right? And they didn't. And I would agree with you. I don't think, I don't, and we'll never know, right? Unless there's some kind of tell-all documentary. But I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that they thought Ray was going to be a Palpatine at this point. I doubt all. it. No, you know, I don't think so. I think... If, uh, if I had to guess at this point, she either would have been a Skywalker offspring, which would have made sense from the, from the lightsaber calling her, right? Or a Kenobi offspring. Yeah, um, which would make, which have made a would would have made less sense if she would have been Luke's daughter. It makes all the sense in the world. Sure, right? It makes all the sense in the world. Now, in the at the end of the day, would I pr have preferred her to be Luke's daughter or Kenobi's daughter? You know, I don't know, but I, I think at this point, the, the fact that they that they literally never paid that off is a is a 
is a big strike against this movie. Yeah, it, it definitely didn't it didn't hit well, or it was a tease that was in the end very unnecessary because it didn't really go anywhere. And I do think that they actually explained what happened with the lightsaber and how it got back into Maz's possession in the comics. But you know, whether it's that lightsaber or whether it's C-3PO's red arm or whatever, like I didn't, I didn't need Star Wars to be sort of uh, a gateway into all their other forms of media just to try to figure out what all these other things meant. So yeah, that didn't do much for me, but it, it, at the time it was intriguing because I thought they were going to answer it, but they never did. Uh, so then we, you know, we see the power of, we'll call it Death Star 3.0, which is also known as Star Killer Base as it destroys the Hosnian system, which, you know, and this is another big strike, like I mentioned earlier, that, that Takodana and Jakku and all that stuff, they weren't, you know, Jakku was name dropped many times, but but um, some of these other environments and planets really weren't. And, you know, I'm wondering if you even followed at this part. So we see that the full power of the Starkiller base when it destroys the Hosnian system, which I don't even think they named it at that point of the movie. But that was, as my understanding, that was the home of the New Republic. and And, and they didn't, I don't think they spell that out unless I missed it or they didn't do a very clear job of it, but we're supposed to think that they have basically destroyed all of the new Republic with the exception of whatever's left over, which is what we see, you know, at, at the, towards the end of the movie and as they're gathering to take on the base and everything like, did you get that or, or am I just maybe not paying attention because I'm caught up in everything else? Um, I understood just from the visual and audio cues that it was a huge deal right I, I don't know that I necessarily understood that it was as big as they purported it to be I don't think it was I don't think it was as impactful to me as Alderaan was in in Star Wars which very derivative again if we're talking right? about yeah. rebooting this movie it's right. the scene where the big planet killer weapon blows yeah. up the the important good guy base I, I don't think I don't think it was as impactful as that. Now, th there's a couple reasons for that, right? It it was might have been because in, on all the round, it was the first time I've ever seen anything remotely close to that in, in on cinema, right? So you know, it was the first, blah blah blah. I, I don't I don't know. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I, I knew it was important. I don't know that I knew it was as important as the movie would lead me to believe it is, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, well, well, the reason Alderaan was important was because of Carrie Fisher, because she sold that part in, in A right. New Hope, right? When she's being held there and, and she's going back and forth with Tarkin and, and Vader about all that stuff. And, you know, she's the one that sells that. It has nothing to do with a, a CGI picture of a planet exploding. It's, it's all about her and, and how she's you know, distraught and how she's trying to divert them from destroying her own planet and all that. But we don't get that in this, in this movie. We just get basically Hux gets out there and he makes this big speech, this big Nazi like speech to all of the, uh, oh, the it's, order. it's all the Nazis, right? Yeah, it's, right. It's, it is so it is, Adolf Hitler. It's not even funny. It is straight out of some Indiana Jones movie. It really feels that way. And, and it's, and it's good and it's entertaining and it's fine, but it doesn't, I just didn't think that they gave us enough of uh, exposition to understand what were they blowing up and, and why do we care, right? Like, oh, it's right. a big deal, but why? Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I had a little problem with that. But so the First Order, you know, finds, so our heroes and this fantastic battle ensues, which shows Finn 
with a lightsaber and uh which is interesting because it's you know it's not something we've ever seen frequently in the hands of somebody who isn't a jedi uh and he's fighting this this new order or new order <laughs> this first order trooper uh who uh, apparently has this weapon that can repel a lightsaber it's the first time i think we've seen that at least in the new trilogy we we did see that a little bit in the uh in the prequels uh we also see han using chewie's bowcaster which is a, a real fun scene and a cameo from one of my favorite directors mr kevin smith who actually announces whose voice announces the arrival of the familiar uh x-wing fighter from the first act so that's when our good guys come back in and we get that awesome visual of the x-wings hovering very very lowly over the water and uh and they come in and they save the day and of course pose x-wing is flying all all around the uh, all around the skies in this really great dogfight and just blowing up ships left and right. And then Ray has her first encounter with Kylo, in which you know he overpowers her until he's uh, he's able to basically put her in a catatonic state and, and take her away for interrogation, which is apparently in lieu of actually. So he's trying to find Luke Skywalker's whereabouts, and he didn't get the droid the first time, and now he's not getting the droid a second time. So, uh, you know, he gets her because he feels like she's seen the map and he just assumes he can pull that information out of her, which we learn he can't. <clears throat> and then the resistance finally lands and we get this long awaited reunion from uh, between Princess Leia or General Leia, as we will know her, and uh, Han Solo and, of course, C-3PO. And I don't know about you, but like this scene for me was was really, really anticipated. I don't know if it paid off the way that I, I hoped it would just because Carrie Fisher definitely seemed to not, you know, the, the years of not being on screen were evident, I think, when, when we saw her. And I think she looked the part, but she had this really gravelly voice that was almost distracting, uh, distractingly different from what we're used to there. But the moment was sweet and that they, that they got back together and then they, you know, they, they sort of reunited for a minute, but, you know, kind of curious to, if you can remember back to, you know, how you kind of felt in that moment when we see Han and Leia back again for the first time. Leia, Leia in this trilogy, to me, is a disappointment. The, the entire, now I understand Carrie Fisher died. I understand that they had to do some things and, and kind of splice some footage together and this, that, and the thing. There's very few scenes in this entire sequel trilogy where Leia is that I actually enjoy. I don't know if I'm a romantic, but I, I was I was not thrilled that they their relationship clearly didn't end up well, right? They're they're divorced or at least separated or what have you. You know, again, Han Solo is my guy. He was always my favorite. He, you know, so I kind of wanted him to live happily ever after. But, but I would agree with you. I mean, like, you know, we, we talked earlier about how Harrison Ford became Han Solo for this role, right? I, I, I don't know that Carrie Fisher did, right? And, and I don't know if, I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if she didn't care. I don't know if she was getting on an age. I don't know if she was sick, right? She passed away shortly hereafter. I, I don't know why that is, but she just, she didn't connect with this character the way Harrison Ford did, or even the way Mark Hamill did, right? So I, yeah, I was I was kind of let down with the Leia scenes. Uh, I, I I liked 
I liked the fact here's here's why where I will give Carrie Fisher credit. Carrie Fisher plays the the um, the grieving mother very well, right? Where she's where she's talking about when she starts talking about Ben or Kylo. I believe that a lot. I believe the grieving mother piece where I don't really, where I'm not really on board is her interaction with Han, if that makes sense. Like their relationship, like the relationship she has with her son, I can feel. I don't feel the relationship she has with her husband or ex-husband or whatever they are at this point. Yeah, I can see that. I will agree with you to a certain extent for sure. Like it, this movie with with Carrie Fisher and Leia, it didn't, it, it felt, oh gosh, this is going to sound really terrible. So send your hate mail to me. But um, it felt very similar to Karen Allen when she came back in the fourth Indiana Jones movie. It, no, that's, that's fair. To that's me, totally it just, fair. it just yeah. seemed out of place. She seemed a little unpolished, but I, I can't tell if it's her, if it's the writing or, or the character or whatever, but it, like, she just didn't, it just didn't feel, to your point, she didn't feel like Princess Leia to me. And I I think we see, in, in my personal opinion, we see a notable improvement when we get to The Last Jedi. They're not, spoiler alert, there are not a lot of things I like about The Last Jedi, but I think Carrie Fisher does a great job in that with what she's given specific for that movie. Her character is given more time. It's given more depth. Right now, she's, she's not really given much of anything. It's really more of just let's watch her and Han sort of have their have their moments and and i i felt kind of similar to you like it was really disappointing to see because you know we were both going into this movie not knowing anything about han solo or princess leia or luke skywalker or any of these characters so we had no idea what the status of anybody's relationship was so to find out almost early on because han tips us off when 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 she's like you're han solo and he's like i used to be and and you sort of understand right from there like something has gone wrong along the way and i'd love to find out what that was but that's obviously not a part of this story but yeah i i I do agree with you there's something that's a little bit underwhelming about this whole thing but i I do think that we get better with it as we go through the saga a little bit Uh, but we see poe and finn reunite at this point uh, which was a nice moment because, you know, we had this bromance that happened earlier on in the movie and, and then they finally reunite not knowing, you know, not having seen each other uh, since, uh, you know, Poe, uh, or I should say Finn thought that Poe was dead and, and, you know, was happy to realize that that wasn't the case. And I feel like that's, it's a bit of a motif that we, we go back to a couple of times in the next couple of movies, you know, where they have this moment where they reconcile somehow. Uh, and then the team learns that they can't find the rest of this map. And then R2 shows up only to remain in low power mode. I, I, this, is, this is one of the worst parts of the entire movie. Like, what the fuck kind of logic is this? Like, I'm supposed to believe that a, that a droid gets so sad that Luke Skywalker disappears that he just goes into low power mode. And, and for what reason? Like, what? And then, and then yeah. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the part where he wakes back up. But it's just like... It is the worst kind of contrivance that I felt like we could have just left him out of this movie at that point. It, it, like, yeah, it's 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 really bad. Uh, uh, let me let me see if I can make this statement. Yeah, R two is by far my least favorite portrayal of a original trilogy character of this entire thing. Like it's 
and, and that's that includes Luke, who literally has no lines. Right. It it's terrible. He's like, not a character he, in this movie. He's a no, paperweight. He's, he, yeah, he's a tra- he's a trash can. Like he's legit a trash can, right? And and, and you're right. And and the, and the thing that kind of puts the nail in the coffin is like when he fucking wakes up and it's like, oh, he had the whole thing the whole time. Fuck you. Like yeah, just bad. Just, come on, bad yeah, storytelling. It's, it's, it's really bad. And no, I, I agree. Yeah, th- this this is this is just you could have just left him out completely. You could have left him and C three P out a hundred percent. And, and this movie would not have been a single iota worse off if you left them out. I mean, I, I know why they didn't leave them out. And I'm glad that they didn't leave them out. But this is not what they should have been given to do. And I, yeah. it just, it really bothers me that that it seems so forced in there. It's so contrived and it's so... I, I, I Yeah, I, I almost would rather have them treated in this movie the way they are in Rogue One where they're literally just like they roll into the Cameos. bottom of the scene. Yep. Yeah. I, I would rather have that than this. Right. At least then you could still say, yep. Okay. They've been in every star Wars movie, uh, but yeah, th- this is just, this is bullshit. It's, it's just, yeah. it's just not good. It's just, it's lazy storytelling. It's lazy writing is what it is. Like they, they knew that they wanted to get them involved somehow, but this is the best they could think of. And it's, it's pretty poor. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But we have I, we have some some moments that I think are nice. I, I think that the initial moment between Han and Leia is a little bit awkward, but I think as they start to have some more screen time together, it, it starts to get a little bit more interesting and they try to reconcile a little bit of their mistakes that they made as parents and, and agree to try to, you know, do what they can to try to get Kylo back. And, you know, then we get to Ray and Kylo, we go back to Ray and Kylo uh, when uh, Kylo is trying to interrogate her and we get to see the real face. This is the first scene where we get to see Adam Driver's face. And I think it was a really interesting story, story choice because obviously Darth Vader being the big bad guy, we don't get to see him unmasked until the, uh, you know, the, the final sort of chapter of the, the last movie. And, and we're seeing Kylo Ren's face almost from the beginning of this series. And we learn very quickly that Kylo is not deformed. He's not, uh, he's not mangled. He's not in need. He doesn't even need the mask, right? Darth Vader needs the mask to live, to breathe. Kylo doesn't need any of that. And I think he's exposed at that point as being his own sort of Darth Vader fanboy. And, and I think that that, that starts, that starts to endear me a little bit more to what they're trying to do with the character it's a little bit harder to, to swallow because you want that big bad guy and you don't really feel like you have that. You really just have sort of an immature child who's trying to deal with all this stuff. Uh, but then this is the point where we learn that Ray is at least force sensitive when she resists, resists the interrogation and eventually uses her newfound powers to escape the interrogation room, uh, which cues Kylo's tantrum number two. And then Star, Star Killer Base begins uh, charging the weapon by draining, draining a nearby sun in about the same amount of time it takes to perform a Microsoft Windows update to blow up the known location <laughs> of the remainder of the Resistance Squad in the Ilenium system. And then Han and Leia have, you know, what, what's going to end up being their last moments together, you know, with a really heartwarming hug and you know, this is, this is a moment that I feel like uh, they, they showed it in the trailer. And it's a really good one. She's like, bring back our son. 
you know, this is, I don't know if we knew this would be the last moment that we saw them together on screen, but it was, uh, I thought it was a really good moment. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, it, it was, you know, like, like I said earlier, where I like Leia in this film is when she's dealing with her son, right? And, and, and this is one of those moments where she's not only interacting with Han, but she's talking about her son, right? She's, she's being a mother here more than she is being a wife, if that makes sense. But, but, but no, th- th- this, is a, this is a great scene. It is, it, it is, in my opinion, the best scene from Carrie Fisher in this sequel trilogy. Yes. Um, it, it's, she, she, this, this is the one time when, and this is gonna sound stupid, this whole, where she's Leia. She, she actually feels like Leia here. To, to me at least you know yeah. um so no i i agree yeah well she shows real emotion and and we get the sense yeah. from this scene that that they went through some they went through a lot of shit together right like something right. something right. happened in the past and we don't know what that is and we're never going to know what that is because i don't think they're ever going to tell us that story but you know it's 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 a scene where you see a mother and a father who really care about a child that that they feel like is you know potentially gone from them and and you know as a parent as i'm watching this as a father you know like i get that more now than i would have you know five years before that so right i I agree i think that's her best scene in the movie and it was it was really well done and and it makes me want more of that which we won't get unfortunately but that's that's what i want uh so the rescue efforts begin when han and julian finn make their way to the star killer base to try to shut down the shields again you know, very derivative of some previous storylines. And they uh, accost Captain Phasma, who this is the first time we've mentioned her name in this, uh, this show. You mentioned uh, Snoke being sort of likened to Boba Fett. I think Captain Phasma is definitely this, this trilogy's Boba Fett, right? Because she gets nothing. And she's cool looking, but she's got nothing. She's got no substance. And she's, she's very... Not superficial un- unfairly yeah. but she's very much uh she's just simply dispatched in the next movie with, without any real care and uh it was disappointing because i think that that as a character was a really interesting you know sort of second mate type of or a next in command kind of thing where they, they could have really taken that and went somewhere with it and i i it was lame they the whole character was wasted. It, it, it was it was incredibly lame, especially when you factor in the toys that they made of this character. I mean, the, I can't even tell you how yeah. many Phasma action figures there were, and they looked really fucking cool. I mean, she's got a great design. She's the only like silver character out there. She looks um, cooler than Kylo. I'm gonna go ahead uh, and say uh, it. Absolutely, she absolutely does. Um, and and I I think there's some there's some like in a book or something somewhere where like her armor is actually made from the, from the spaceship that Anakin and, and um, Padme or like that, that spaceship in episode one oh, like wow. is the, is that. actually, I, I, th- I, I might be misquoting, but it's, there's some connection there. I think, I don't know if it's the same metal or the same alloy or whatever it is, it's but, cool. it, but again, she, yeah, but she, she turns out like, yeah, she, she is, she's kind of the, she's the, the, she is the bitch of, of this, right? I mean, she dies the same way kind of Boba does. And, and I, so I, I was not, 
I've never watched Game of Thrones. I wasn't, so I know this actress is a, is a big Game of Thrones gal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's why this character became kind of the cult favorite, but yeah, she, it's just, ultimately it's, it's a whole lot to do about nothing. Well, Gwendolyn Christie, I believe is her name, and she was fantastic in Game of Thrones. Like she was really, really, really good. I have to think that this is somewhat of a Kathleen Kennedy move because, you know, we haven't really talked about this a lot, but this, this version of the franchise is very female forward in terms of, you know, the protagonist being a female, you know, this is just pure hypothesis at this point, but, you know, like having a female bad guy alongside of all of these uh, other characters, I think is, is kind of part of that. And I think Gwendolyn Christie is, uh, (laughs) I don't know the right way to say this, but I think in terms of stature, she's like, she's, she's a big female. Like she, she's, you know, she can, she can be physically imposing in a lot of these scenes that she's put in. And I think that's a big reason why she was cast in this. Is she, is she like a, is she a big lady? I I don't, I've never seen her. She's, she's like, she's super tall and she's, um, I I guess I don't know the right way to say that, but I mean, she's, she's not petite. She's not demure, but she's, so she's just a large female. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It is what it is. Like she's large. That's okay. Uh, and, and I, I, she, I didn't know that. Okay. She plays basically a, a, a warrior character in Game of Thrones, like somebody that if you watch Game of Thrones, you would absolutely believe that she could kick your ass. Like it. it okay. So she was. Is she like she a? Was, is she like a Xena warrior princess kind of? Not uh, not 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 as it relates to Game I've of Thrones. I've not watched that either, but okay. But, okay. Right, right. But okay. needless to say, like she can sell as a female, she can sell an action role very well. And so I think she was very well cast for it. I just don't think she was very well used in the role once they cast her. But I I didn't really have, I didn't hold that against this movie because I thought it was going to pan out somewhere down the road. Yeah. And it, it just didn't, but that's that's no fault to Force Awakens. But this this is the this is the Matrix two and three syndrome, right? Like, right. How I feel about this is what's going to depend on what comes in the in the future, right? And, and yeah, let's let's not talk about what Matrix three did for uh, for everybody, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get um, so we get Poe and and team to take about twelve or so X wings to target a, a thermal oscillator in the Starkiller base. Which again, this is where we get severely derivative of, of the first Star Wars movie. This is where all of those comparisons should really come in. Uh, and then, of course, Han and Chewie and Finn and Ray are all attempting to, to blow up the Starkiller base from the inside. And as we're going through these scenes, uh, Kylo and his father finally meet when Han shouts Ben from across a long, unnecessary catwalk. <laughs> you know? For, for dramatic purposes only, like there's there's no uh, there's no space station in the universe that should have a catwalk like this without railings or anything like that. Yeah, so we find out his name is Ben, which is really interesting. Um, I think it's really cool uh, that they uh, this is this is clearly a, a nod to uh, Obi Wan and his legacy and all of that. And and we get this scene, which is to me like I remember being, you know, quite literally on the edge of my seat. And, and so Han and, and Ben are talking with each other and Kylo is clearly struggling because he knows what he needs to do and Han offers to help him. Uh, but Kylo ultimately ignites his blade and, and we see one of our heroes stare very frighteningly into the face of his own son before he falls into this endless abyss. And I don't know, like this, I, I feel like I should have known this was coming because Harrison Ford you know, very famously 
asked to be killed in Return of the Jedi, his character to be killed in Return of the Jedi because he felt like it would have had more stakes. And he, he quite frankly, didn't want anything more to do with this series after that. So it's not surprising that they were able to get him back for this only to sort of honor his wishes by killing him. But when it happened, like, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how I can explain how I felt about it, but I mean, shivers from top to bottom when we saw him plummet, like, what was your uh, recollection of how you felt when that scene happened? Very similar to yours. In retrospect, I should have seen it coming a fucking mile away, but I didn't. I was just like, oh my God, they just killed Han Solo, right? I was just like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. I remember thinking, so let me ask you a question. There's this dialogue when they're out on this, again, this fucking abnormally long thing with no very value. dangerous like, catwalk like, right like who the, who the fuck would ever walk out there no like, signs that ever, say nobody. hey please don't walk on this because yeah, there no, there are no railings you're gonna fall dumbass no, nobody in their right mind would ever go out there ever but whatever so there's this dialogue where they're where they're talking about i know what i have to do and something to that i don't i don't remember exactly what they said what what is it that he has to do is it that he has to kill han solo is that what he has to do i think at that part of the story yeah i think that's what it is i think that he knows that he has does, to kill han solo because he wants to be a bad guy but he's feeling does, this okay this conflict right does does han know that no i don't think he knows so what, that so what does han think he has to do because han says i'll help you or something Han like says, that. I'll help you. And he tries to take the lightsaber from Kylo. And I think right. Kylo is sort of in his own mind, bouncing back and forth between what he wants to do. And then I think we're led to believe that once that sun goes down or once that sun is gone and, and the darkness sort of falls, right. you know, Kylo yeah. gets his cue and, and he just, he ignites the blade and he just does but, it. So what, what do we think Han thought he needed to do? Like what was what was Han helping him with? Was what did Han know that he had to kill him and and he was sacrificing himself? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, my opinion is that no, I don't think Han was that bright of a character. If if I'm being honest, like I don't no, he think wasn't. he yeah. he he did that for the greater good of what would come later. Like I think he genuinely wanted to try to help his own son and thought that that's what he was doing. And Kylo sort of decided for himself. Uh, at the end of that scene that what he needed to do was, you know, kill his father and, and eventually okay. his mother. But yeah, that was, that was a jarring scene. It really was. I mean, I, Harrison Ford really sold that so incredibly well uh, when he reaches up and he, he touches Kylo's face and then he just sort of plummets and, and falls away. And it, I, don't, I can't help but thinking there's some sort of irony of, of Han Solo being killed by a lightsaber. <laughs> like I right? just, yeah. For some reason, for the longest time, I thought that that was just so incredibly ironic because hokey religions and ancient weapons and all that stuff. And, and for right. him to be killed by that, it was just it was jarring. And I think for me, even though I sort of probably subconsciously realized it was going to happen, like I knew there was no coming back from that. Like there's no force ghost. There's well, turns out there is for him. But the, but right, right. <laughs> Well, um, so it's it's so it's it's funny you said that, right? And, and I imagine this is something that we will talk about in subsequent episodes. But there are two 
two quick things for that. One is the the gravitas, for lack of a better term, that mm -hmm. this scene provided made the scene in Rise of Skywalker that much better because it was clearly kind of a mirror image of this scene, yeah, right? We'll definitely talk uh, about that. We will definitely talk about that, right? But, and, and we'll talk about it when we get to Rise of Skywalker as well, I have, I still have a hard time reconciling the fact kind of where Ben Solo goes or when Ky where Kylo goes based on this scene in The Force Awakens, right? Because no matter how good he is at the end of the day, he still fucking killed his father, right? Like right. He, just, he just did. Well, um, and the same argue, argument can be made about Anakin Skywalker, who killed a bunch of children. Right, right, absolutely. And yeah. somehow gets redeemed at the end of Revenge of the or Return of the Jedi. But of course, right. Return of the Jedi was made uh, before, before he killed all those kids. Before he right. killed all those kids. Yeah. Um, so, so again, we'll, we'll get we'll get there. But but I think, but I really and again, I it might have just been kind of dumb luck, right? But that scene in Rise of Skywalker made that movie for me or it was one of the pieces because of how poignant this scene was yes right it was it was that you know so han has the lightsaber literally going through him and he reaches out and he touches his son's face and he just kind of brushes it aside right and it's like as a as a parent it's like it's all the feels right it's like oh he, so much you know um it wouldn't have affected me nearly the same way if i wasn't a father at no, that point not at all not at I, all not that I can put myself in the in the shoes of a fictional character like Han Solo, but like, you know, I, at that moment, seeing the look on his face, all I could think of is he really wanted to help his son. He really wanted nothing yeah. more than to, to bring his son home and to give him all the love that he, he needed and deserved. And he realized at that moment he failed and, and that his son had betrayed him and had, you know, decided right. to take him. a darker yeah. path. And that was, that was tragic. That was so sad to see that happen. And, yeah, we'll definitely get the Rise of Skywalker. I don't want to spoil that because I think that there's a really important reason that they did that scene in Rise of Skywalker and why it mirrors this one. Yeah, but uh, we'll get but, there. But this yeah. was this was crazy, and uh, it was it was tough to watch, and it was powerful. And I remember holding my breath and being like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe that they did that." And then Chewie is pissed, and he takes out uh, half the First Order and Kylo's balls with his bowcaster as the <laughs> As he as the Star Killer base, you know, completes its charge and, and gets ready to fire, and then Rain from, Finn, what's that? I know. I was just gonna say from, from the time Han dies until the time they get back to the base, this is my favorite Chewie of the entire like the yeah. entire time. He again, he's 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 gutted. He's lost his best friend. He's lost his soulmate. He's lost his whatever it is. His the life pact or whatever it is. And, and this is, this is the Chewbacca that, you know, let the Wookiee win, right? Don't fuck with the Wookiee because yeah. he's going to fuck shit up. And that, and this is what he does. And I, I love it. He's, he's, you know, my, my nickname is Chewie. Um, it's one of my all time favorite characters. Um, this, this is the Chewie that, that I kind of know and love. I think it's great that they finally gave him a moment, right? Like he doesn't feel like a sidekick anymore when this, when this happens, which is great. I think they do him a little bit of a disservice at the end of the movie 
when him and Leia cross paths and don't even acknowledge each other after all this happens, which is uh, maybe more of an oversight from an editing perspective than anything. But you know, the idea that 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 Chewie and Leia don't have a moment about Han uh, is is really really bizarre to me. But I think that was an oversight that they just they they can't you know go back and fix. Yeah. yeah. But so. At this point, uh, you know, Ray and Finn retreat and they're tracked down by Kylo in these in these wintry woods. And Phil, Finn is called a traitor for the second time in the film, which seems to be an interesting motif. Like the entire uh, First Order seems to be really upset about him being a traitor. And he tries his best, but, you know, new, nearly loses his life as he is ill-equipped to handle Kylo Ren in a laser sword fight. So, you know, we get this next scene, which is really interesting, where you know, Finn is down for the count and we think that Ray is out and Kylo clearly wants that lightsaber and he reaches forward and tries to grab it through the force. And when it shoots up and heads his direction, it zooms right past his head and Ray catches it. And what I didn't realize until just today, and this is really interesting. So when she catches that lightsaber, in my mind, that is the official beginning of the hero's journey for her, right? Like this is sort of equivalent to the scene in A New Hope where Luke stumbles upon his aunt and uncle who have been murdered by the stormtroopers and then realizes that, okay, because Luke at that point in the story had, had sort of reconciled himself and said, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a hero. I don't want to save the universe. I'm just going to be a farmer. And he was going to go back and he was going to do that. And at this point through the whole movie, Ray's been fighting her hero's journey the whole Campbellian archetype. And it's at this moment that Ray uh, realizes or that Ray officially sort of takes the mantle to be the hero. And what's, what's even more fascinating to me is that if you, pay, if you paid any attention to this, the music in this scene is, is not even re, it's not even redone through the orchestra. It's exactly lifted from that same scene in A New Hope where Luke um, discovers his aunt and uncle and, uh, you know, the scene where he sort of has that moment where he realizes, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like they use the exact same cue. Is it, is it scene. where, is it where Baru and Owen are like on fire? Yes. Is it that one. Okay. Yes. That scene where it's, they, they literally use the same music, like they copy and pasted it into this movie. And it doesn't appear that way in the soundtrack, but it is on the movie. And when you watch it, it's like, holy shit, it's, I didn't realize how powerful that moment was until I realized they used the same music and they used the same music because it is the same moment. It is at different parts of the movie for Luke. It's much earlier for Ray. It's towards the end of the movie, but it's the part where Ray officially says, okay, like I'm on board. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, even though I've been fighting it the whole movie. And, uh, and I just, I thought that was really interesting and I really love the way that they did that. And then uh, Kylo and Ray fight, you know, while the X-Wings uh, take advantage of the bombs that Chewie and company had left behind. And, you know, what Star Wars movie is going to be complete without a, a couple of X-Wings in a trench trying to blow up a large planet-killing weapon, right? So Ray resists Kylo's persuasion to, to bring her to the dark side and manages to escape with, with Finn and the Falcon after the planet starts coming apart as it's, as it's blowing up. But I'm, I'm wondering, from your perspective, I've heard a lot of feedback and a lot of people have given this movie criticism about Ray being overpowered about her Mary, being able Mary Sue. to come into the scene and just totally wipe out Kylo. Now, I don't feel like a lot of people 
uh, keep in mind the fact that Kylo was wounded, right? Like Chewie shot him right in the right in the crotch region, or, or probably right in the hip, right? Because he, you, you see him, you, you catch those scenes where he's like he's hitting himself, and there's blood falling on the ground and all that. So he's injured, but Ray seems to learn how to use a lightsaber very quickly, having never picked one up before. And I'm curious to know, like, was that a problem for you? It wasn't for me specifically. Like, I just went with it. I enjoyed everything. But for some people, they're like, this isn't, this isn't right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so, so the, 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 there's a lot of criticism around Ray and she's a Mary Sue, right? Uh, I.e. she kind of knows everything. She, she can kind of pick up the mantle and just kind of be a badass. To answer your question specifically, no, it did not bother me at all. I, I guess I, and I, and I, and I can't quite put my finger on why I think it's probably because I always knew she was something special in the story, right? Yes. She's kind of been their scavenger, but she's clearly something special, right? We just don't know it yet. And, and, and so I was willing to cut, and, and I'm not even suggesting like she's going to be a Palpatine or a Skywalker or a Kenobi or whatever, you know, but it was, it, it was clearly something, right? And, and we already knew, because even, even in this movie, we've seen her use the force. So, so no, it, it didn't bother me. I was okay with that. Never really crossed my mind, to be, to be honest with you. But once I started reading those criticisms, I started thinking back to Empire. Luke did the same thing. Luke stood up to Vader. Yeah, he lost, but he stood up to Vader in Empire after like, 12 days of training to be a Jedi. Like, you, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't a Jedi, but he, he was okay. The issue that I had with this scene was not so much between Ray and Kylo. The issue that I had with this scene is they have seemed to have forgotten the, the rules and the laws of what a lightsaber does. That, that, that's the problem that I have. A lightsaber up until now, in the, and again, at this point, we are six and a half movies in or six and three quarters of movies in. Lightsabers take limbs off. Lightsabers, you know, cut off heads. They cut off arms. They cut off this, that, and the other. They go through walls. They, you know, heat up blast doors. They take out droids, this, that, and the other thing. And in this scene right here, you've got Finn that kind of gets shot down with a, or cut down with a lightsaber. And it's just kind of like a glancing blow. No big deal. Right. That's the problem that I have with this particular scene. It's like, and I don't even really have a problem with, with Finn, the fact that he can use a lightsaber because he, because he gets his ass handed to him pretty quickly. Right. I, you know, I, there, there's some been some discussion. Does does Finn have some force affinity? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't doesn't really matter to me. Kylo kicks his ass pretty pretty quickly. But, but yeah, the, the the problem that I have here is kind of the way they deal with the, the is the rules of the lightsaber within the Star Wars universe. That being said, this scene where Ray catches the lightsaber, holy shit, it's awesome. Yeah. It, it, I mean, when that lightsaber does a 90 degree angle and comes to Ray and she catches it and ignites it and puts it right here and just like, yeah, dude, it's fucking 
awesome. Watch it again with the realization that the exact yeah. music cue that it's, they use is the same one that they used from I mean, A New Hope. Yeah, and it, I mean, it'll change you. It'll make it even more. Believe it or not, it'll make it that much more. It's awesome. I mean, I, I'm I, like I've got all the goosebumps right now just talking about it. Yeah, it's a it's amazing, and and I have no I have no problem with the fact that she beats Kylo here. I have no problem with the fact that she's overpowered. I have no idea. You know, I guess in my mind, I was like, oh, she's she's channeling the force. She is right. the force, you know, and it, it it just it never crossed my mind twice. It ne- I never was like, oh, she's too powerful like that. The, the whole Mary Sue thing never, never crossed my mind. We are no set up to believe that she yeah. is the next, you know, yeah. prophesized. Yeah you know, whatever you want to yep. call it. She's the next Luke Skywalker, yep. the next Anakin had, Skywalker. Yeah. I had, I had no problem at all. You know, we, we had this scene earlier in the movie that we talked about where she had these visions of the, of the box at Maz Kanata's and like, I didn't understand it, but I was like, oh, well, she's clearly, there's some connection there. And I'll, I just, I went with it. I had no problem at all. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was the same way. I think that, uh, I don't know if the lightsaber rules or physics have changed. I think that they just they just didn't have the the balls to to really severely impair anybody with a lightsaber in that scene. I think we're supposed to believe that there were just multiple near misses with lightsabers, which doesn't seem very practical. But you know, with Finn or even with Kylo, because he got his face sliced up, but it just created a little scar versus you know chopping off his entire head. So. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying about that. I think that was just a sort of, you know, it was a story contrivance to make sure that uh, we could, we could tell the story that somebody was hurt, but you know, that they weren't, uh, they weren't mortally wounded. Right. But from that point, we get, uh, we get Poe and team to uh, do a very Star Wars-esque, or I should say New Hope-esque uh, run on Starkiller base and it explodes and our heroes return to the uh, resistance for a, a very short-lived celebration. And, and this sort of gets into my big issue with uh, this one scene where, again, I think it was just an oversight and it's a, it's a pretty glaring one, but there is a scene where we see Ray and Leia confront each other after, you know, meeting for the first time after Ray gets back there and you see Chewie walk right by Leia, like it's right by, like not even acknowledge each other. And I have a hard time believing that that would ever happen in a world where Han Solo just died. And, you know, that was, that was super disappointing. And I think they tried to make up for that later in Rise of Skywalker when, when Leia dies. But, you know, that, that to me was just like, ah, you missed an opportunity. We didn't, what we'll find out when The Last Jedi starts is we never really have an opportunity to properly mourn the death of Han Solo. And that, that's something that, that really kind of sticks with me. I think they actually do in the novelization of, of The Last Jedi to some extent, but we don't have time to do that when The Last Jedi starts. And that's hard because that I, I think that's something that we all needed as part of that. But, you know, it is what it is. And then, of course, R2, as we talked about, this magically comes back to life only to remember that he has the rest of the map, which is a terrible, terrible contrivance. And I hated it. I, I just, I hated how they did this scene. I, I mean, I realized that we sort of are at the end of the third act and we have to get to Luke Skywalker at some point, but the fact that he was just magically asleep and now magically wakes up and there's, there's nothing, there's just absolutely no explanation for any of it was 
it was really really unsettling for me yeah from from the from the time star killer base explodes like basically the rest of the movie to me is like was kind of in fast forward mode yeah let's get the um, luke let's get the luke yeah right and, and and candidly i i forgot about luke right i just i literally forgot about like I was like, oh shit, like we, we need to get back to Luke. And then to your point, like R2 just wakes up and is like, oh, I've had the, I've had it the whole time. Oh, fuck you. Like that's, that's, that's really bad. Yeah. It's really weak. And yeah, it, candidly, I, I totally missed the whole Chewie walking in the background thing. H- had I caught it, it would have pissed me off too. I, I do, rem- I do, re- you know, I, I remember there was, there's this kind of embrace between Leia and Ray. And, mm-hmm. and I remember even, I remember even seeing it that, that opening night, I was like, well, wait a minute, you, you, you don't know each other right. like, at all. Like, I like that moment, but I thought it really, it, but it's, but it's not it shortchanged the yeah. moment that she should have had with Chewbacca. Right. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not earned at all. I'm pr- like, that's right. the first time they meet, like, you're not going to embrace, you don't, you know, Leia doesn't know the time that that Ray has had with Han, and Han, and Ray certainly doesn't understand the relationship that Han had with Leia. And yeah, it was it was like a very weird, hey, we're girls, so let's hug, right? Like it was just, yeah, it was it was just it was very superficial and very yeah. kind of thrown together. Um, and again, I I didn't even realize that Chewie walked back walked by in the background. Had I seen that, it would have pissed me off. Oh yeah, I, just, I didn't even shoulder didn't to shoulder. Realize. They walk right yeah. by each other it's not even yeah. like he it's not he's like a character that walks in the back like they walk directly beside each yeah, other yeah that's like and that there's no acknowledgement yeah, yeah that, that, that was a real disappointment but i mean yeah. whatever it is what it yeah. is yeah i, I understand uh, that uh, they had to tell the story so yeah you know and, and then the, you know kind of the, the way it ends right it, it, it ends with it actually ends i was okay with the ending right it, it kind of ends with a really good cliffhanger, right? You, you get Ray on this planet, and and you Literally. see Luke, right? Yeah. And you see Luke finally. And I'll, I I won't lie and say that I wasn't flaming pissed that Luke didn't even fucking say anything. I was like, wow, you know, it was like the ultimate blue balls. Yeah. Um, but it was like, holy shit, there's Luke. Like yeah. Luke's alive, and he looked so fucking cool oh, he looked he looked amazing right he looked so um, weathered and so badass and oh my god it was yeah i was so excited when i saw him and then i just sort of realized in that moment i'm like we're not they're gonna cut the they're gonna fade to black here like yeah. it's and it's sure gonna enough, cut and and that's yeah. exactly what they did you know and, and i guess i mean but but when you talk about like the ultimate cliffhanger right you, you got the cliffhanger of oh my god luke is alive because at that point we we didn't even really know if he was alive like we maybe he is maybe he's not like we're looking for him and yeah. again you, you mentioned in the open like he he is the ultimate MacGuffin, right it's like he's this thing that we're chasing that you know he's the matrix in the in the in the um or the all spark in the transformers <laughs> movies right it's like yeah. like you don't know you don't know what it is but you're chasing it but to, to actually see i'm glad they paid it off right like they they could have just done the same movie and just never paid it off but i'm yeah. you know and just they could have ended it with like luke or with ray getting to the the island and just like stopping it there at the very least they gave us luke right um 
which which was good. But you know, of course, then that makes us kind of salivate for the next two years. And then sure. I would argue that like the way they treated Luke in the subsequent movies was shitty. But we'll get there. Oh, we will um, definitely fucking get we'll there. Definitely, yeah, we'll get there. I've got problems all day long with that. But yeah, yeah. but but at this point, it was good, right? Yeah, it was good the way that it was good. He was. Um, Again, we'll, we'll get to why he was there and his motivation and blah, blah, blah. But I was glad we saw him and he was, and for the, you know, 37 seconds he was on screen, it was amazing to see, yeah, presumably Jedi Master Luke on screen and it, alive and well. It was a magical moment, but I think it was also a moment of somewhat profound sadness because it was at that moment that I realized that we would never see our three main characters on the screen at the same time again and you know we're, we're we're getting ready to sort of wrap this up and kind of talk about our final thoughts but so i'll sort of uh, tease you know one of my biggest criticisms of this movie is that we missed the opportunity to see luke skywalker han solo and princess leia together on the same screen at the same time which was you know such a great thing in return of the jedi we got that so many times and, you know, I, I'm really sort of uh, beside myself that they didn't think to try to make that happen, right? Because it's, it's that is the, one of the most endearing things about, you know, the original trilogy and certainly the uh, Return of the Jedi, in my opinion, is the fact that they all work together to, to try to, to, you know, to try to push towards a common goal. And the fact that they never took the opportunity to make that happen is, is the biggest miss for this entire trilogy, in my opinion. Yeah, it, yes, it is, it is by far the biggest miss of this sequel trilogy. The fact that they didn't get them together, you know, the, the way the story played out, I can understand why they didn't because it would sure. have been really contrived. It would have been hard it, to do it the way that, it they, would, that JJ yeah. wanted to tell it, for sure. Right. Right. It, it would have been really, really contrived to get them together. Uh, I, I, I'm more upset that we didn't get Han and Luke together than we yeah. did than the fact that we didn't get the trilogy together. Uh, you know, but hey, reasons. And we'll get there by the time we get through all three of these we, movies. We be, will. We because will. I think there's something to be said about, uh, you know, why they the opportunities that were missed specifically by not getting these three characters together and why I think that would have been so important to not necessarily focus so much on new characters, you know, like that I'm sort of tipping my hat a little bit, but you know, when, no, that's, that's when true. they decided to create a new trilogy, they clearly made an effort to introduce, you know, newer, younger faces. And I think that that's okay. But if this is the last saga you're ever going to make, then it makes no sense to me not to focus on, you know, the three characters that made this saga as important as it was. And, and they, they did that very sparingly and very separately, but they didn't do it together. And yep. I, I think that was a huge miss. I think it was misguided for sure. I agree. No, I, I agree. I agree. So, so how, if we're kind of, if we're going to put a bow on the, yeah. just this film, just, just this entry, is is this a recommendable film? How did you like this film 
you know, in a, in a vacuum. Is, is this a, is this a good, is this a good film? Is it a good Star Wars film? Is it a good entry into the Skywalker saga? So for me, I will say that when I remember very specifically when this movie, when I got done seeing this movie for the first time and uh, you got, you, you had seen this movie. We both saw this on opening night back in 2015 in December. And we, we called each other and we, we talked for at least 45 minutes uh, and we were up pretty late discussing this movie. And I remember just being super excited and I was really entertained i was really pleased that this movie did uh you know some people think that fan services is a bad thing and i suppose it can be if it's not done uh well but i think this movie did it well and i appreciate all the fan service and i appreciate the fact that this was sort of han solo's movie at least that's the way that i that i interpreted it i i didn't really want a movie specifically for han solo i would have preferred you know a, a joint effort by all the cast members uh, you know, I certainly would have preferred, as, as we said, to have, uh, uh, you know, Mark Hamill and, and uh, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher all on the screen at the same time. But I really love the fact that Harrison Ford came back. He was really the centerpiece for this movie, in my opinion, especially as it relates to the old generation. And it was fun. It was just fun. It made me feel like I was eight years old again. and I was in the theaters and I was excited. And I wanted to see more and I wasn't disappointed with the output and I, I loved it. And I still think to this day, if I'm being honest, not to show too much of my hand of this sequel trilogy, this is probably the most rewatchable one for me. Like this is the one that I still go back to and I still enjoy just as much as I did when I first saw it. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining. I think it's beautiful. I think it's really, really nice to look at. And it, it sort of takes me back every time I watch it to when I saw it for the first time and how excited I was and how impressed I was that they did such a good job with it from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I would agree with almost all of that. I, I think this is the one that there's a there's a ton of fan service here, right? And, and mm -hmm. that's not and that's not a bad thing, right? Especially for especially when you're the fans that they're trying to service, right? Which is what we are, you know, is it over the top? Is it, is it kind of on the nose? Yeah, it is. But I mean, this is the movie that they were trying to say, okay, we need to make this, this subset of fans happy with this particular movie. And they did it right. The subsequent movies, you know, they, they kind of steered away from that a little bit. Ryan Johnson clearly did, and then and then even JJ when he came back to it, you know, was was less worried about keeping us happy in in the Rise of Skywalker. I, you know, I, I never had the problems with this movie that a lot of the critics did in terms of the the Mary Sue of of Ray. Um, I never had the problems of this being a. a a ripoff for lack of a better term of a, of a new hope. You know, if you look at it through that lens, yes, the comparisons are clearly there, but, but you know what, that's, that's why I loved it. Right. Because I loved the new hope. And, and so, yeah, if you're going to remake a movie 32 years later, I'm going to love that one too. Right. And just in terms of tonally, yeah. not to mention the fact, not to mention the fact that, that this one 
feels like a Star Wars movie, right? Where the prequel trilogy really didn't. I mean, yes, it was in that universe, but it didn't look like a Star Wars movie. It didn't feel like a, and and this one really, really does. It it, it is. It's 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 like it's like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes, right? And that's and that's not a that's not a knock at all, right? That's it it's your it's your favorite pair of shoes, your favorite pair of jeans for a reason because they fit and they're comfortable and you know what they are and you know what you're going to get and that's what this movie was. It was I mean it's absolutely a recommendable film. Now now I guess the question becomes if you don't come to this film with all of that background and all of that baggage and all of that knowledge, is it, does it, is it still as good? You know, I don't know. Cause I, I, I can't look at it through the <laughs> eyes of a, of a newbie. Right. I, yeah. I don't know, but, but I love, I, I love this film. I just, I love it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a good movie. I think it's probably the best one of the series. And I think that it is certainly derivative of the first movie, but it's it's done that way with intention and it's done the right way. I think they're, this sort of started a series of movies that tried to do the same thing. Like I, I can think of Jurassic World, right? Jurassic World was very similar in that it tried to very closely emulate every step of Jurassic Park. And I, you know, my personal opinion is I didn't like that movie. I thought it was it was very um it, it was painfully derivative i guess is how i would describe it and it just didn't work for me but for whatever reason this one did and I, i'm sort of in the same boat as you like when i was watching this movie for the first time i didn't really notice that it was it was almost beat for beat very similar to the the new hope but you know once i found out or once i sort of agreed with all that criticism i'm it didn't bother me. It really didn't. Like I, they did it in, in the best way possible. They, they brought back my old favorite characters. They introduced new characters. I think that's one of another, one of the biggest compliments that this movie deserves is that, you know, by the end of this movie, I cared about Ray. I cared about Finn. I cared about Bo. Like I wanted to see where these characters were going. I liked them almost, almost as much as the original characters. And I didn't think that would be humanly possible to be able to create that much you know, to be able to put me in a position to really be invested into those characters the same way that I was in, invested in the older characters. And they did a great job of that in this movie. I, I think that they're going to fall off significantly in this next movie. And, and we'll certainly get there as, as it relates to those characters and, and how they continue their journeys. But, you know, this one was fantastic. And, and amongst all of the fans or all of the trolls that are out there i mean this movie is the first one to come out when the internet was like in full force right i mean i guess the the prequel movies were uh coming out in the age of the internet but it's almost not even possible that this movie could have lived up to everybody's expectations because you know that in the digital age like everybody has a voice and everybody has a complaint and it would have been really difficult to satisfy everybody but I think it was a resounding success and I'm, I'm really happy that they made it. And, and by the end of this movie, I was really excited to see what was yeah. next because we knew that Luke Skywalker was next and that it was going to be his movie next and to try to understand what that was going to be. And, um, you know, that it, it left me to, at a spot where I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to wait two years to figure what? out what's happening next. 
it was a long, long, long time. Right. So, 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 so that, that kind of leads me, leads me to kind of a, a wrap up, right? So, so we've been talking, uh, this is clearly going to be in the longest of our episodes at this point. We're, we're almost, I don't know, a couple hours in at this point. So just, just a couple, I got like three or four more last kind of questions, yeah. just kind of quick, quick hit questions, right? So mm-hmm. did it live up to the hype? Did this movie live up to the hype from 2015? For me, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that uh, yes. To to answer okay. it quickly, it did. Yeah, yeah, me too. Again, we we've talked about there's a lot of fan service, but yes, that's that that's what we wanted. So, n- next question was was the was the critical backlash for let back lack of a better term that this is just a reboot of a new hope. Is is that fair? That's such an interesting question. I mean, it, it, it definitely, you can't argue with the credit. You can't argue with the, the fact that it is very much a, a repeat of a new hope, but for me, in my opinion, if it's done right and it's done well, I don't care. I don't care that yep. it's not 100% original. So I don't think it's fair that it's, it's critical. You know, it's a critical response to that. I just, you know, I think it's done well and it's, it's, you know, JJ did an, a very uh, creative job of sort of retelling a very similar story with newer characters and older characters. Yeah, and, and, and I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, like I said, I've said a couple times, I, I didn't even really put two and two together and realize that this was a kind of a beat for beat, shot for shot reboot, right? So, it, so that never bothered me. Yeah. Um, and to your point, it's, it's a good movie and it gave me what I wanted. So it, it, it didn't bother me. All right. And, and then the, and then the last question is, does this movie, does it whet our appetites for the, for the next movie, the, the next two movies? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. It, it, it absolutely does. Right. And, and I guess, you know, we, we, we will talk about whether or not our appetite was quenched with the next two movies, but I think it's, it's unequivocal at the end of this movie, we were ready for more. Oh, for right? sure. When, when, when Luke got that lightsaber, we were like, Holy shit. Give us episode eight <laughs> right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't wait. And uh, I, I was hooked. Everything that JJ did, everything that he put together, everything that he resurrected from the original saga. I, I was I couldn't wait to see where this was going to go. And I was so excited to know that there were two more movies that were going to come. So yeah. uh, Yeah. I was definitely ready for more at that point. Awesome. Well, uh, I, this has been awesome. This was kind of everything that I wanted it to be when, when quite frankly, when we started this podcast, right. It was like, let's, let's sit down and let's be geeks and let's talk about the shit that we love. And, and th- there's nothing that we love more than Star Wars. And so I think sitting down and having a really kind of extended conversation about this particular movie, this was this has been awesome. I, I've loved it. I, I think it's fair to say that the next time that we get together, we're going to do the next movie in the trilogy, which is The Last Jedi. And if you've seen that movie and you're our age, you know there's a lot of shit to talk about when it comes to The Last Jedi. I, I think it's probably fair to say that we're not going to be nearly as complimentary about the last Jedi as we were about the force awakens. I, I, 
I'd say that's possible. Yeah. Possible. Right. You know, that's not to say that there's not some really great scenes in that because there is, but I'm, but I'm really, really looking forward to that conversation. Well, it's interesting because, you know, JJ sort of kicked this new sequel trilogy off with the intention of bowing out after the first one. And, and he did. Uh, <laughs> and he did. He very much did, which, yeah. which I think we're going to find makes for a very uh, uneven storytelling, yeah. you know, result. And, uh, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to end up doing Rise of Skywalker. But, you know, we're going to see some very different tones and themes throughout the next two movies that are really going to confuse people and and I, I i wish i could say that it's going to end the way that it started i don't think that it does there are going to be you know bright spots and, and not so bright spots but you know we'll get there when we get there i guess well we yeah we will get there when we get there like i said as i announced in kind of my my teaser the last episode I think this is this is what you're going to hear Pip and I talk about the next couple times we get together. So we we did uh, we did the Force Awakens. Next time we're going to come to you, we're going to talk about the Last Jedi, and then we're going to end it out with the Rise of Skywalker. So thanks for sticking with us. This has been an awesome experience and an awesome conversation. Uh, this has been the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy. I've been joined by my brother Pip. Have a good evening, brother. I appreciate it. Same here. Love you, man. All right, love you too. See you. Talk to you later.